Hello to all my lovely, beautiful, how coronavirus saved my life listeners. My mantras for today's episode, episode 40, The Injustice. My mantras are, I am a champion to those less fortunate. I counterbalance injustice. I had to witness injustice on a daily basis in childhood in order to care about it. I am beautiful, I am powerful, and I am limitless. And so are you. Welcome to the How Coronavirus Saved My Life podcast. My name is Christine. I'm a mental health nurse practitioner who got coronavirus in April of 2020 and had long COVID symptoms for months. I couldn't figure out why I wasn't getting better until I healed myself through unwinding my childhood conditioning. This is my story on how coronavirus saved my life and how I healed myself, along with others sharing their own personal stories and how they are navigating through their own healing. How Coronavirus Saved My Life, Episode 40, The Injustice. From the time I was a little girl, I heard the N-word constantly. I heard the N-word constantly from my father, my racist, angry, alcoholic father. He would constantly say the N-word as we would be driving around He would scream it at people he perceived as like cutting him off in traffic or driving slow or at the gas station. He constantly would say the N-word in the house when it was just him and I, out in public, social situations, when he was partying. He constantly said the N-word. But he not only just said the N-word, he would describe describe black people as monkeys. They can't be trusted. They're going to steal. They're uneducated. And the way that he would talk about the black race It was as if they were subhumans. I remember hearing this word so often, but not that just hearing the word, how the N-word made me feel when he would say it. My body would clench. I felt gross. I'd grab my stomach, hold my stomach. And... When you're a child, it's hard to describe what that feeling is. But I remember every time he would say it, I would never respond. I would just look at him and hold my stomach when I was a child because it was so uncomfortable and indescribable when you're a little child and you don't, your brain's not developed. You don't know the words to say. You just know that it feels yucky. Growing up and having a father 
who wasn't just an alcoholic and using a bunch of drugs and smoking a bunch of cigarettes. Growing up, listening to him constantly talk about black people as if they're subhumans and animals. It wasn't confusing for me because I knew what he was saying was not true. But it was hard to understand why he felt that way. I could not understand why he felt that way. It was almost like... This isn't right. He's incorrect. And he is so loud when he talks about it. It was just annoying, quite frankly. It was annoying because he was judging people. He didn't even know. And judging people with a fact and a belief that he had in his own mind about a particular race. So, witnessing injustice constantly on a daily basis when I was with my father was frustrating for me because I had all my other friends' parents. We're not like this. So it was very disheartening and troubling because this is my father and I am nothing like that. And it was very disappointing. And so getting around other people's parents who were not like this was probably a good thing for me to see sort of this duality of good people versus evil, disgusting, whatever. But it's so hard for you when you're a child because this is your father and his beliefs are disgusting. And so it would be super frustrating for me for many, many years having to hear this all the time and kind of fast forward years later, you know, when I was married to a Mexican (laughs) Hispanic, you know, um, I remember he really wanted family. He really wanted to be around, you know, his family and I remember. Remember one Thanksgiving, you know, we had the basketball game on and he started saying racial slurs. And the adult me said, dad, if you continue to say the N word, you're going to need to leave. And he didn't say it anymore. So me setting that boundary was super good for me. (sighs) But back to my childhood, listening, seeing the vitriol of him just saying such awful things to humans he didn't even know was so disturbing for me. As I've gotten older and started my healing journey, 
and questioning things like, why was he like that? You know, for so long, I just would be so grossed out by his view and things like that. But in 2020, I started going, why is he like that? Why is he like this? When I started becoming curious and asking questions, then I could see a different perspective. Not my perspective, his perspective, and how he was raised, and how that racism was so ingrained in him by my grandmother. She told me, my grandmother, his mother, told me when I was in seventh grade, you're not allowed to swim with black people because it's like bathing with them. I was absolutely horrified when she said this because at that time I had a lot of black friends and I actually had a crush on a black guy. And so it was so horrifying to me that my grandmother said this to me. It was like, what? I could not understand it at all. And so asking questions and becoming curious about my father's racism was very important for my own healing. And as I've navigated those things and looked at witnessing, hearing, feeling injustice, it was a trauma for me. I did not realize that injustice is a trauma. Injustice is a trauma. Injustice can look like many different things. For myself in particular, it was my father constantly saying the N-word and describing a group of people as subhuman, as dumb, not smart, gonna steal from you. You can't trust them. So that was my injustice. Injustice can also look like you being sexually abused when you're a child and your mother did nothing. Your father did nothing. That's also injustice. So It's so interesting for me and myself and my journey, kind of reflecting back. When I was a teenager, what's so, quote, ironic, (laughs) was I was actually attracted to black men when I was a teenager. And so here I have this crazy, racist, loud, alcoholic, Balls of the wall father. Super scary white man. Screaming things at a group of people. How ironic was it, is it, that I was attracted, am attracted, to black men. (laughs) So, when my father started catching wind when I started dating, you know, I was becoming a teenager and all that and dating and stuff. He would definitely make jokes about it to try to, I guess, demean me. And 
would make jokes about black people and make black jokes, racial jokes that weren't particularly funny. It was uncomfortable. And it's sort of unexplainable because my dad, despite all of his crazy shit, there was a level of him that respected me because he and I could relate to a lot of things and talk to talk about a lot of things. And I wouldn't yell at him or really try to judge him. And it's probably sort of a blurred boundary that he, my father was sort of look at me as his best friend and listen to his problems, all those kinds of things, girl problems. I don't think he really had, he didn't have a lot of friends. And so I was kind of his friend. But... I was also his daughter who was dating black men. And so I remember when I was about 15, 16, I was staying the weekend at his house and he was definitely drunk and high on some sort of drug and irate. He like barged in my room. He took his cowboy boot and started smashing all of my cassette tapes, my music cassette tapes that were predominantly rap music. And he was smashing them and smashing them. And he had his fist in my face and was like, don't ever bring a black guy here. Don't ever bring, and he would say the N-word, an N-word guy here. And I was frightened. It scared the crap out of me. I thought he was going to punch me. I thought he was going to hit me. But guess what? I didn't change. Despite that threat of violence, it didn't almost, maybe because I was a teenager and felt invincible, I pretty much said, oh well, (laughs) because I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And so I remember the first time I brought one of my black boyfriends home and who actually smoked weed. My dad smoked a lot of weed and this boyfriend sold weed as well. My dad actually bought weed from him. But after my guy I was dating left the house, my dad said, if you ever bring him here again, I'm going to shoot him in the head. So that did scare me because my dad could be so volatile. He never shot anybody or anything like that, but it was so scary the way he would say things. So, um, Never brought that guy back. <laughs> um, so, but then, you know, when I graduated high school and met my ex-husband, you know, I had met him when I was around 16, 17, and he's Hispanic. My dad refused to go to the wedding because he was Mexican. He was irate. He was so irate that I was, quote, marrying a dirty Mexican. And... For me, I've always been drawn to cultures and communities that are different from mine. My white, conservative, middle-class family is small and manipulative. And the people who look like me are the scariest people on earth. So I've always been drawn to other cultures. I also, my parents 
didn't really take me to church. So religion and philosophies have always been interesting to me because I didn't have a conditioning of a certain particular religion. So I've been fascinated by other religions and things like that. But I remember when I was 14, I was so unhappy at home. I was being raised by my white narcissistic mother who's materialistic. Her mood shifted based on if she had a trust fund check in the mail or not. And I just remember being so unhappy and going to my junior high school and questioning and asking, becoming curious and asking, how do people become happy? And so I started looking at my friends who were happy. And I went up to my one friend, Heather, who was always very happy. And I asked her, like, how are, why are you so happy? And she started telling me it's because she goes to church. And so my white friend, Heather, took me to her white conservative Baptist church. And I loved it. But there was always something not quite authentic about it. Yes, these people were very nice and had very nice teeth and big smiles. But there was something kind of deeper in me that was like, what's off about these people, <laughs> you know? And then as I would go to more and more youth groups and church, I realized it's because they weren't authentic. And if I don't feel like someone's being real and they're not authentic, I don't trust you. <laughs> and so, again, it was like the people who look like me, I couldn't trust. So then I asked my black girlfriend, Kendra, when I was 14, how are you so happy? And she said, come to my church. So I went to her church. It was an all-black church. And I remember walking in on a Sunday morning. I didn't know what to expect. And I wasn't even really thinking about it. I was happy riding along in the truck with my friend Kendra and her father, who was a preacher, we were just listening to music and be bopping along, get to church and walk in. And it was like the floodgates of love opened. It was like my heart opened and went into outer space because I walked in and everybody was standing up and there was a choir and listening to gospel music and singing gospel music and everybody was singing and so joyous and so happy. My chest was vibrating. It was having this love vibration and I felt it was, a, it was something I have never experienced. It was something I had never experienced in my life. Most of my life was fear Scared I was going to say the wrong thing. That people who were giving food and shelter, raising me, were the scariest people on earth. On the outside, it may look like I had everything growing up in a white, middle-class neighborhood. But on the inside of the house was a house of horrors. You know, my mother was super manipulative, gaslighting, just 
you know, crumbling my self-esteem on a daily basis, competitive with me. And so, and then I had my racist father. So I find it so interesting personally that despite my father's racism and all that, I was curious. I was seeking because it had nothing to do with him. It was my journey. I really wanted to know why people became so happy. How do people become happy? So walking into that all-black church, when everybody was singing just gospel music at the top of their lungs and just shouting their hands in the air and tears in their eyes from all the joy and my chest vibrating, it was the first time in my life where I felt safe. The first time in my white, middle class, being raised by a racist father, it was the first time I ever felt safe. It's a moment I will never forget, and it is a moment that changed the course of my life because as I have now been on my healing journey and ask those questions, why was my dad racist, blah, blah, blah. I know now for myself, part of the reason why I'm here on this earth is to help find solutions to injustice. I had to witness injustice on a daily basis in order for me to care about it. And injustice came from my father's mouth and transmuted to love from the black community. How blessed am I to have this group of people who didn't even know me and love me for a moment in time. And so feeling that joy and seeing that love And coming from a higher power was just so special to me. And so wherever I go, I carry that memory with me. And now as I'm older and I'm a nurse practitioner, a mental health nurse practitioner who works at the county hospital, (laughs) where I'd probably say half of my clients are black. Why would I be drawn to a county hospital where some of them are homeless and they got financial constraints? Why would that matter to me? Why would I want to work there? When I was in nursing school, I was a mental health technician at a private hospital that was mostly white people with insurance. And I remember the first time I did, when I was in nursing school, and I did clinicals at this county hospital I work at. I remember the first day doing those clinicals, and I said, this is my home. (laughs) Because it's where I felt safe. It's where the love was. It's where I've seen love. And so, I am... So grateful that my dad was racist. It was important for me to witness injustice, for me to care about black issues, 
Now I have clients, black clients who come in and they tell me, you know, they can't get their family to understand them. And not just black clients, Hispanic, whatever, but particularly with this subject, with the black community, I will have an African-American female sitting in front of me crying because her sister doesn't understand her and won't talk to her. And to have, it's sort of interesting. It's sort of this unspoken trust. <laughs> How ironic is that? My father would tell me, you can't trust these group of, this group of people. But when they walk in, when I have an African-American client walk in, it always makes me smile because they don't know me and they may make assumptions about me. We all make assumptions about people, right? When they come in and they start talking, I just start sharing my own story. I tell them about my racist father. And I tell them about my narcissistic mother. And I, we talk about how crazy it is that our families were our first bullies. And I reassure them and tell them that, you know, your family most likely is never going to understand you. You're a cycle breaker. You're a cycle starter. Please cry. Please do that. Please release it. Because I've had a lot of African-American clients, particularly female, that come in and tell me that their cousin or sister or mother or whatever tells them that they're a crybaby if they cry. I had a a client whose husband had died two years ago and she cried on the, his death anniversary. And she told me her sister said, why are you still crying about it? That is just so devastating. And I know that feeling from my own father not being supported. So... I am grateful for injustice because it is part of my soul's calling. I had to witness injustice on a daily basis for me to care about it. I had to witness injustice for me to find my soul's calling. Thank you to all the listeners of How Coronavirus Saved My Life podcast. If you want to know more about me and hear crazy family stories, hop on over to the podcast I make with my sister. It's called The Family Burrito. My sister, Jessie, and I made the podcast after our dad died in March of 2021. We did it as a way to heal our childhood wounds. Now we are healing and now we're having a good time. So if you want to hear more stories, crazy sense of humor, and get to know my personality a little bit better, hop on over to The Family Burrito anywhere you get your podcast streaming.